If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, as we continue to walk through the Lord's Prayer here in the Sermon on the Mount. And today we think about the simple petition, Your kingdom come. When I say that word, when it, what, what comes to your mind when you hear the words king and kingdom? King and kingdom. Maybe you think of a, a castle or, or someone wearing a crown. Or it could be that, that someone holding a, a scepter sitting on a throne comes to your mind. Or maybe you envision some rolling hills surrounded by a huge palace or maybe a, a sprawling city where the, the king or the queen's residence is right in the center. I think it's easy for us to come up with images related to a king or a kingdom in our minds. However, when we talk about the kingdom of God, often our minds are blank. We're not sure exactly what it means or, or what it looks like. And in the second petition of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus instructs us to pray, God, let your kingdom come. And as we saw last week, attached to that petition are the words, on earth as it is in heaven. So we are to pray, Father in heaven, let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. So what would an answer to that prayer look like? What are we praying for? What are we envisioning when we ask that God's kingdom would be a reality here on earth as it is in heaven? Is that something that, that will only happen in the future? Or can we pray this prayer believing that it can be answered right now in the present? It's these kind of questions that I want us to think through today. And as was true last week, there really is no formal big idea to this sermon except to say, pray this way, let your kingdom come. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. Pray these words, which means we're simply going to try to understand exactly what we are asking for when we pray those specific words. Let's begin by reading the Lord's Prayer together as it's found in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. If you have a, an ESV Bible, you can just read straight out of there, or you can find the words on the front of your bulletin. Uh, as you get ready to read that, remember that we are that in the introduction, we are declaring that that God is to we who are part of the family of God through faith in Jesus, that God is our personal, loving, and all-powerful Father. And these first three petitions center us on a concern for God's glory before we move into those final three petitions that have to do with our personal concerns. That's sort of the structure to keep in your mind. And with that in mind, let's read, let's even pray these words together. Jesus tells us in, in Matthew chapter 9, he says, Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As we seek to understand what this prayer is asking, a, a concise explanation is found in question 102 of the Westminster Catechism. Um, I actually printed it off for you there in the, in the um, announcement section so you can see it and take it with you. But the question is, what do we pray for in the second petition? And the answer is, in the second petition, which is, thy kingdom come, we pray that Satan's kingdom may be destroyed and that the kingdom of grace may be advanced 
ourselves and others brought into it and kept in it, and the kingdom of glory may be hastened. So when we pray this second petition, we are asking for one, the destruction of Satan's kingdom. Two, that God's kingdom would be advanced. Three, that people would be brought into and kept in God's kingdom. And four, that the final glory of the kingdom would come quickly. It would come sooner rather than later. What, what a wonderful little guide to praying this prayer. We are to pray, Father, when we pray, Father, let your kingdom come, we are praying, Father, destroy the kingdom of Satan in this world and let your kingdom of grace advance instead. Bring people into your kingdom by your grace. Keep them by your grace and come quickly, Lord Jesus, so that your kingdom will be here on earth as it is in its fullness in heaven. So with that summary, I, I guess we can all go home. That's what we mean, right? Uh, let's think about these things a little bit more and maybe some other ways we can pray this prayer. And I want to begin our thoughts by, by going back to the question we were asking right at the beginning of the sermon, which is, what is the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God or the, the kingdom of heaven is one of the key themes of Matthew's gospel. Jesus begins his ministry by calling people to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he, at the end of his ministry, he spends the final 40 days that he spends on earth after the resurrection teaching the disciples about what? About the kingdom. But what is the kingdom of God? A simple way to answer that question is to say that the kingdom of God is wherever God is king. The kingdom of God is wherever God is king. You might think about um, the British Empire. At the height of of its power, Britain ruled over 23% of the, earth, of the earth's population. So all of those colonies and countries were a part of the British Empire, a part of its kingdom, whether they wanted to be or not. You might think, too, of a, a great movie, The Lion King, uh, where Mufasa stands on Pride Rock with his son Simba, and what does he say about their kingdom? He says, everything that the light touches is our kingdom. This is where we rule. This is our kingdom. Well, if God's kingdom is wherever God is king, then we might say that God's kingdom is everywhere because God is the creator and the sustainer and the ruler over the whole earth, even over the whole universe. Britain was sovereign over 23% of the earth's population, but God is king over 100% of the earth's population, whether he is acknowledged as that or not. But here in Matthew, it would seem that the focus is not on this, this broader rule, but it's more on the messianic kingdom, we could call it. Not just the, the kingdom of the earth in general, but the messianic kingdom in particular. You remember the Old Testament promised a Messiah, a, a deliverer who would come as the one who would fulfill the promise made to Abraham, the promise of a, a land, a people, and a great nation or a kingdom. He would come from the line of, of King David, and he would be even greater than King David, ruling over his, his people with justice and mercy and power, destroying all of their enemies. And it's that messianic kingdom. That's what we're praying for. But this messianic kingdom is a kingdom unlike anything that the Israelites had expected or any kingdom that the world has, has ever known. Jesus did not come in his incarnation with great political power and military might, and even here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus lays out what his new kingdom people are to be like and what flourishing in this kingdom looks like. And what does he talk about? He talks about people that are poor in spirit, people who mourn, people who are meek, people who are hungry, 
even people who are persecuted. Those are the ones who are blessed in this kingdom. All of our pictures of castles and land and crowns, they don't really fit the kingdom of Jesus, the one that he brought into this world, especially in his first um, coming. Here in the present, Jesus' kingdom is unseen with regards to its physical, tangible, visible nature. And this unseen kingdom, that's, that's what we're praying would come. We're praying that Jesus' messianic kingdom, his, his rule as Savior, Redeemer, and Lord, that it would come. We're, we're praying that the flourishing and perfection of the new kingdom would be a reality as people submit to the rule of Jesus and walk in his ways of justice and peace and grace and truth and the like. We're praying that God would be worshipped as the only true God and would be obeyed fully as the only true king. We're praying that, that he would not only be the father of people as their creator, but that he would be their father as their savior and as their Lord. These thoughts on what the kingdom of God is, they lead us to another question, which is, what are we asking for when we say, let that kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? What are we saying about, what does that mean, come on earth as it is in heaven? Well, God's kingdom exists in its fullness in heaven. He is, he is worshipped unceasingly, and he, he is obeyed perfectly. His glory fills all, his character is, is perfectly displayed. It's like the perfection of Eden, but even better. And we're asking that God's kingdom would come here on earth in that way. So the question is, in this prayer, are we simply praying for the, the future fullness of the kingdom? Or are we praying for God's kingdom to come on earth right now in a different way? Are we praying with John in Revelation, come quickly, Lord Jesus? Or are we praying for a, a present presence of the kingdom? And the answer is, Yes, we are praying for the fullness of God's kingdom. And in that, we're asking that Jesus would return and that he would make all things right because we know, we know that all things are not right. And we are longing in our souls and we are looking for a kingdom whose builder and maker is God. This is a prayer, let your kingdom come. It's a prayer for we who know our own weakness and sinfulness, it's for we who know the brokenness and the sinfulness of our world. In all of our disappointments and frustrations, when we're sinned against, when the, when the brokenness of this world affects us, whether through the sins of others, or sickness, or depression, or homesickness, or loneliness, or injustice, or so many other things, when those things come into us, we can pray, Father, let your kingdom come. Abba, we, we need your kingdom and we need your kingship because when your kingdom comes and when you are king, everything will be right. It'll be the way it's supposed to be. And that's what we've been made for and that's what we long for. So we cry out, Lord, let your kingdom come. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. This is a prayer for what we have called the, the not yet of the kingdom, for a fullness yet to be fully realized. But, but here we are also praying for, for God's kingdom to come now. We are praying and, and longing for the, the already of the kingdom to be seen. Because the coming of Jesus has signaled that the kingdom of God is here. 
Jesus said that if he casts out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. He said that the kingdom of God was near to us. And in this sense, Jesus has inaugurated and he has established his kingdom on earth, and now we're simply waiting for its consummation. But it's here. And as we wait, we see glimpses of the, of the rule and the power and the goodness of God's kingdom. That therefore, we are praying not only for God's kingdom to come in its fullness in the future, but we're praying for it to come in the present, even if only partially. One quick thing to note here is that the earth is not bad. It's supposed to come on earth, the God's kingdom, nor, nor is our ultimate hope to escape this physical world. What is our hope? Our hope is for a new king and a new kingdom to be in power here. Our hope is not to leave this world, but that Jesus would come and fully redeem this world, that the new Jerusalem would come out of heaven and, and that the dwelling place of God would be with men and women for all time. That's our hope. And so we don't pray to be released from this world. Rather, we pray for pockets of the coming reign of this uh, uh, the coming reign of Jesus to be on this earth and to spring up even now as we wait for its fullness. So with all this, hopefully we have a better taste of what God's kingdom is and what it means for his kingdom to come now and, and in the future. So if we understand those things, what's it look like to pray this prayer? When, you, when we say these words, what's it mean? Let me start with a couple of things that we are not praying, just two things that we are not praying. First, we're, we are not praying, we're praying not for my kingdom, but for God's kingdom. Not for my kingdom, but for God's kingdom. That's obvious, but it's hard to recognize sometimes. I'm not sure if you've ever played the game King of the Mountain. Have you ever played that game? The goal of King of the Mountain is very simple. It's to be the person who stands on the highest point of the, the hill. Usually you play it on a big dirt mound or something like that, and everyone's pushing each other off. It doesn't end well, typically. Everyone's climbing up to the top of the hill and saying, I'm the king of the mountain. What's the goal of that game? The goal is to be king. The goal is to be king, and that's a goal that we have in life as a whole. We want to be in charge. We want our name to be exalted, our wishes to be granted, our desires to be fulfilled. In fact, at the heart of the gospel is the question, as the children's version of the gospel presentation, Two Ways to Live, puts it, who will be king? I encourage you to check that out. You can find a presentation online. But that's, that's the question, and that's the title of it. Who will be king? God, as we have said, is, is the king of the whole world, and he is a good king ruling with justice and love, seeking the good of his people. But in our sinfulness, we don't like that. So we reject God as our king. We try to be king ourselves. We end up making a mess of everything. Such rebellion against God, the king brings punishment on us, and it, it leads us to being shut out of God's kingdom forever, which would be the end of the story, except for the fact that that God in his grace and in the good news of the gospel, he sends his son, Jesus, to take the punishment that we deserve for all of our rebellion against the good king. And God raised Jesus from the dead so that we too could live forever as members of God's kingdom. The choice that everyone faces in life is whether we will continue to reject God as our king and be shut out of his kingdom forever, or if we will repent 
turn from our sins and trust in Jesus for our salvation. So I ask you, will you keep trying to rule your own life? Or will you turn to God as your Savior, as your Lord, and be welcomed into His kingdom? Into His kingdom. Those who, by God's grace and Spirit, choose to say yes to God are made members of His kingdom. It's a kingdom that we will live in forever, even after death. But it is also the kingdom that we live in and that we live for now. And as members of this kingdom, through faith, we reject our selfish desires and we seek instead to see God's kingdom flourish in our world. We are concerned with God's glory now, not our own. And that's the heart of this prayer. When Christ is our king, we pray not for our own kingdom to be realized, but for his kingdom, his rule, and his ways to be seen more and more in this world. We're not those who who keep trying to be king of the mountain. No, we play that game kind of strangely. We don't want to be the king of the mountain. Rather, we joyfully announce that we are servants of the only true king, and we do everything that we can to show that he is the only king. So to pray God's, for God's kingdom to come is, is, not, is to not pray for our own kingdom. And also, it's, not, it's to pray not for some other kingdom, but for God's kingdom. Not for some other kingdom. There's a few ways we could think about that, but I just want this it, just to be a reminder that our first allegiance is to God and to his kingdom. Speaking of some people whose minds were set on earthly things, Paul reminds us in Philippians 3.20 that our citizenship is in heaven. More than our family, more than our jobs, more than our city or our state or our nation, we are above all members of God's kingdom. Civic pride is not bad. Patriotism is not evil. Love of country is not wrong, but our first allegiance must always be to Christ and to his kingdom. We must pray for its advance above all else. We must beware of of tying up God's kingdom too much in the fate of one nation or another, of tying up God's kingdom too much in the fate of our nation. We in America are especially susceptible to this. We live here and we love this place, but we also need to see its sins and its weaknesses. And we long for and we live for the kingdom of God first and foremost, knowing that that Christ alone can fulfill everything that the world is longing for. No earthly kingdom can do that. Our first allegiance is to God and his kingdom. So if if we're asking for God's kingdom to come rather than our own or some other kingdom, then we see that we're also asking in that. When we say, let your kingdom come, God, we're also asking that all other kings and all other kingdoms would fall so that Christ alone would be exalted as king. When we pray, let your kingdom come, we are praying against our own kingdom. We are praying against the kingdom of Satan, asking that his ways would be defeated so that Christ can reign fully. We're praying against any earthly government that would set itself up against God's will, God's ways, God's glory, and we're asking that every person and every power on earth would bow their knee before our God. You see how bold, how even revolutionary this prayer is? Lord, we want your kingdom to come above anything else. All of this takes us back to those three areas that we talked about last week in relation to the the hallowing of God's name as we ask that his name would be honored and set apart in our individual lives 
in the church, and then in the world. I think those same three areas apply to this second petition, though I think it's helpful to think about them in reverse order. So if we're thinking about God's kingdom to come, we want it to come in the world, in the church, and then in us. As you pray, that may be a helpful way to think about this. Let's do that together. In, in the world, we're asking for God's kingdom to come. God's kingdom is filled with all the goodness and the perfection of God. And we are asking that all of those things would come into our world. So think about it this way. There's, there's no sickness or death in the coming kingdom. So we pray for healing. There's no injustice in the coming kingdom. So we pray for justice in all areas of life in our judicial system, in our workplaces, in our homes. There's no sorrow in the coming kingdom. So we pray for true joy to fill our world. The kingdom is a home, so we pray against homelessness. The kingdom is a place of plenty, so we pray against hunger, and on and on and on. With all of these prayer, will all of these prayers be answered now in the present? No, of course not but we pray and we act in a way that seeks to see pockets of God's kingdom and evidence of his, of his gracious and powerful rule show up here on earth as it is in heaven for his glory. And as we pray these prayers, we, we are praying against the kingdom of Satan. We are asking that his reign in this world and over the hearts of men and women would come to an end, that he would fall from his false throne. We pray for God's kingdom here on earth and we pray for it in the world. We also pray that God's kingdom would come in the church. That God's kingdom would come in the church. We pray for the, the growth of God's kingdom. We pray for its growth in character like we've spoken of, that God's people would look more and more like kingdom people, shining as lights in the world, acting like salt wherever we go. And we pray for the growth in number of God's kingdom. We're asking that God would bring people into his kingdom, that those lost in the kingdom of darkness would repent and believe and enter into the family of God and become joint heirs with Jesus, members of his kingdom. The desire for, for growth is not only in number, but it's a desire for growth in diversity. God's kingdom can't be tied to any earthly nation because it's filled with people from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. And so we pray for God's kingdom to come in the church. And when we pray that way, we're praying that all nations and all ethnicities and all races and all people groups would find a home in the kingdom of God. And finally, we're praying that God's kingdom would come in us. The kingdom of God is what? It's wherever God is king. So as we pray, let your kingdom come, we're asking is God the Father ruling as king in me? Am I more concerned with my own kingdom, with, with my personal wealth and advancement, my comfort, my glory, my name, my desires? Am I more concerned with those than I am with God's? Do I make my daily decisions thinking about God's kingdom or thinking about my own kingdom? Am I building my kingdom or God's? And as we see the, the pockets of rebellion in our own hearts, we're asking God to come and to conquer all of the stubborn, sinful corners of our lives where we fight against his rule. This little prayer, it's just three words in English. Your kingdom come. 
It's a powerful one. It's a prayer of longing for the, for the fullness of God's future kingdom and a prayer to see his kingdom here and now. It's a prayer against our own kingdom and, and any unhealthy love of some other kingdom. It's a prayer against the kingdom of Satan itself. And it's a prayer that God would rule in our world and in our church and in each of us. So where is God's kingdom? It's wherever God is king. So when we pray this, we say, may he be king over the whole universe and may his reign start in each of us. Let's pray together. Father, let your kingdom come. We confess, Lord, that we feel the brokenness and the sinfulness of this world and we long for you to come and to make it right. And so come quickly, Lord Jesus. We long for your rule and your reign and your goodness and your power to be seen in our world. Until that day, though, Lord, help us to pray that your kingdom would show up here in small and in big ways. Lord, that your character would, would find root in our lives and in our church and in this world that all the goodness of you would be reflected in, in different ways in the darkness of this world. Father, we pray against the kingdom of Satan. We pray against all of his ways, the ways that he would draw people into addiction and into slavery. We pray against the ways that he would um, bring people into depression, into fear. But he is a father of lies. We pray against all of his lies and the lies that people believe. And instead, Lord, we pray for your kingdom of light to reign, that it would expose the darkness in this world. Father, we pray for all nations, that every tribe and tongue and people and nation would see Jesus as king. We pray that, that your kingdom would continue to advance throughout this whole world for your glory. And Lord, we pray for each of our hearts individually. We know that there are places where we still rebel against you. So Lord, we ask that you would reign as king over us. Oh, none of this can we do on our own. Can't pull it off. But Father, you are powerful. You are in heaven. And you have sent your spirit to live and to indwell us. And so Lord, as we pray, let your kingdom come. We rely on you to do it. We're saying that our only hope is in Christ. Thank you for the privilege of praying this prayer. We pray, Lord, that you would be king more and more because of our time in your word today. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.